and we ask now that you would give him the freedom to bring to us that which you have put upon his heart under the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We don't, we don't need this, so I'm going to move it out of the way. And I'll move a little bit closer because everyone's at the back. There we go. I hope that's all right with you. It's good to be here. And it's, I just want to welcome uh, Daniel. Great to have you with us. And Jez's family, Vera, Tina, Andrew. A privilege to have you with us. Um, sorry, Jez isn't preaching today. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's lovely to have you with us. And I uh, hope you feel welcome. Um, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to preach on in just a moment. But before we do that, can you see there's a really small bit of paper on your table? Everyone grab one of those little bits of paper. Not the big ones. That's a bigger one. The small ones. Okay. Get a pen. You ready? You're going to write the sermon right now. No. You ready? One word I want you to write. Okay. Not trying to trick you or anything like that. Just one word I'd like you to write. Okay. So the word I'd like you to write down is the first and best word you can think of to describe Jesus. Go. One word. Just one word. Okay. And unless that word is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, you probably will have finished by now. So, um, I'd just love to hear some of those words. Go for it. Let's start from around here. Go for it. Nice and loud. Wonderful. What a mixture of words. That's amazing. I had just wondered how often love would have come up, right? So I'm not saying there's any right or wrong answers there. I mean, they were all right answers. But um, I had just wondered what first popped into your mind. So it's just lovely to hear what a spread and what Jesus means to us. That's lovely to hear, isn't it? So, um, yeah, so we're going to um, look today at... next part in our Advent series, Waiting for the Messiah. And we're going to look at Mary's song in Luke 1, 46 to 56. So if you'd like to turn there, we're going to read that together in just a little while. So if you have it open ready, if you've got a church Bible and you've turned there already, can you shout out the page number, please? 731. Thank you. Okay, we'll read that in a little while. But what a privilege it is to preach at Christmas time. I'm, I'm really excited about doing that. But I, I know that I cannot possibly do our subject matter any justice at all, given that it's concerning the love of God. So I want to humble myself. I suggest that we humble ourselves before him now in prayerful submission. Let's just pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Christmas time. Jesus, you came. Thank you. And we thank you for your word. 
And as we delve into your word now and look at it, I pray that we would um, submit ourselves to you and to your will. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you mold us and change us to be more and more like precious Jesus? Amen. So, just to recap the series so far. It's not that slide. To recap the series so far, Jez looked at Hope. He was preaching on Hope, um, and he was, um, he was encouraging us that our hope is only in King Jesus and in God the Father and the Spirit of whom nothing is impossible. And last week, Kenny looked at peace and the peace that is possible. It's available to us through Jesus who came at Christmas time. So today we're going to look at love and the love of God. We're going to look at it in his character, in his motivation, in his action, what he actually does. And then also we're going to look at our response, a right response, following Mary's example to us. It's also going to be a little bit interactive. So for those of you that like that, great. For those of you that might be more reluctant, sorry about that. But um, just want to keep you engaged with it, all right? So you really engage with, with this yourselves. Um, let's look at that passage then. Luke 1, 46 to 56. Vicky, could you read that for us, please? Nice and loud. So the, the structure of, of Mary's song, the Magnificat, is similar to Psalm 103. Does it ring any bells we, when she's just praising God, saying, bless the Lord, he's, he's amazing. And then in Psalm 103, uh, David just says why his soul should, should bless the Lord, just going on to say how amazing he is. So, but we're actually going to look at it the other way around. We're going to look at what he has done. And then our response. Okay, so I thought that might be helpful for us this morning. We'll look at who he is, what he's done, and then our response to that. So the first thing is we're going to look at um, his character of love. Um, and you'll see there, this is where we're going to go with it. His character of love. Um, God is love. What, what is his love like? Then we're going to look at the fact that he's motivated by love. Those would be two shorter bits. We'll see what his love in action is like. And we've just read some of that. Mary said, look, this, this is what he's done for me. And this is what the birth of Jesus will mean for all believers. And then we'll also spend a bit of time looking at our response to his love. Okay. So I was looking at 1 John 4, 7 to 21. If you want to turn there, then feel free to follow. 1 John 4, 
7 to 21, it talks about, John's writing, talking about God's love and ours. And John loves talking about love, doesn't he? He loves talking about love. Um, But he talks here about God's love and ours. I'll just read some of it. I'll read the first half of it or so. Um, He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, I, I don't think I can add anything more to that other than God is love, right? God is love. That is not news to you. Um, he is love. What is his love like? It's a different question, I suppose, isn't it? God is love. What is his love like? Well, firstly, I was just thinking this week how glorious and reassuring it is to know that the ultimate person and being in the whole of existence is love. That's really reassuring to me. Imagine if he was something other than that. But he is love. The God who created the universe and created you and me is love. And from Scripture, I was looking at what his love is described as. His love is described as priceless. It's lavished generously. It is unending. It's perfect. It's steadfast. All of us here love someone, right? How steadfast is your love towards them? Nothing like the Lord's steadfast love towards you. It's faithful. It is strong. It is reaching. It is far-reaching. Uh, the, you know, the, um, some of us know the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a lovely book, which actually Claire and I, when we've been reading through it with our kids, we, we've grown closer to the Lord through it because it's just been, it's, I suppose, describing things in a lovely way, simple ways, but in ways which um, are easily articulated to children and therefore I can understand it as well. I love that. And this is how that book describes God's love describes it as never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Isn't that lovely? Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Just to confirm that from Romans 8, 38, 39, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor love, sorry, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That wonderful. But, um, and also, I was, I was looking up some stuff in my, um, my concordance, and the, the amount of times and references that love is made in the, love is referred to in the Bible, it's astonishing. You know, it's about him and his love, isn't it? Um, and he's motivated by love. So what motivates God to come to us? Why would he come? It is his, his love. There's a, um, an often overlooked Christmas verse, which I'm just going to read now. It's, I don't know if you've ever come across this one. It's um, John 3, 16 and 17. Take this out for a Christmas verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's out of benevolence and great affection and that God's deliberate. So I was looking at the, the original meaning of what, of what love in that verse means. And you, prob- you probably know that it comes from kind of agape or a different part of that, which is agapeo. And it's talking about this wider, far-reaching um, love, which is out of a sense of principle and duty as well. So he, he really saw fit that it was the right thing to do. It was out of his benevolence. It wasn't just because um, he was touched or something, you know, just, just out of charity like that. It's just that he, he really saw that it was the right and the best um, loving thing to do out of great passion to send his son as an atoning sacrifice. How wonderful is that? The meaning of Christmas is not only Jesus' birth, but the purpose for his birth, right? It's not just his birth, is it? But what that then means. We're going to look a little bit of that. I was reading a, a blog earlier in the week, um, and this, this guy was saying that Christ's first coming was out of his great passion for the world. Jesus was born on death row for us. The gift of the child of Bethlehem is the tangible love of God into a world that didn't deserve to receive such a gift. It's always been the motivation of God and his ultimate purpose to, as Ephesians puts it, unite all things in him, Christ, things in heaven and on earth, to the praise of his glory. His great love for us should result in the praise of his glory. We can have a look. If you look back at, um, at the Magnificat, look at Mary's song there, and you can follow this. There's, I think there's nine things that, that Mary is praising God for um, as she sees his love in action. Okay, so we're going to go through these bits, and some of it might be quicker than others. Um, the first one, she, she praises him for looking on what she calls her humble estate, and I've, I've looked at that, and I've just thought, you know, my humble and wretched estate before God saved me, if you look at what the Bible says about who I am before he saves me, it's shocking and it's sobering. So I thought, let's shock and sober ourselves together. Um, on the other bit of paper on, your, paper on your table, one that's about that big, if you flip it over, there's hopefully enough for one each. This just a little activity for you today. I told you it'd be interactive. You see, on the one side... What was I before Jesus saved me? 
of what am I now? Jesus might not have saved you just yet. That's okay. Let's still do this together. There's still time for that, I hope, folks. But um, have a look at this. This is what the Bible says about us before we're saved. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes. Just by yourselves. Just write, write down there. Before Jesus saved me, I was far away. But now, because of his love, I am. I'm not going to mark these. There'll be different answers. You have, have a go at that. a humble estate. That is a, a poor and wretched state to be in, is it not? 
far away, an outsider, spiritually dead, a child of wrath, slave to fear, lost, unrighteous, born a sinner, chained, under condemnation, hopeless, and unable to have peace with God. But that isn't the end of the story. That's, that's where we're at without God. But that is not the end of the story. That's what Christmas is all about. I'm going to move on to the next, the next thing that Mary is praising God for. And she says, he has done, have a look at it there. He has done great things for me. He has done great things for me. She's confident in how she says that. Has he done great things for you? I know there are many great things he has done for me. Um, things he keeps doing for me and things he will do for me. Things I don't even know about. And there's things that I think he's preserved me and preserved my life in ways that I don't even know or appreciate. Maybe kept me from errors when I'm driving or things like that. Um, or from the errors of others. And I know he's redeemed me out of errors when I've made them. So um, I know he's done great things for me. Acts 17, 25 says, He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He has done great things for me. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. That's what he's called us to. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And he's fulfilled all of his promises in Christ towards me. He has done great things for me. Okay, third one. Mary says, holy is his name. She knows that God's name is holy. And I was thinking about his name. We, when we're baptized, we're baptized into his name, aren't we? And we're holy. Baptism doesn't make us holy, but the being baptized into his name, into his family, because of what Jesus has done, makes us holy. In Peter and in Leviticus, it talks about being holy because he is holy. That's what we're to be. We're to be holy. And I was just also considering, are there any amongst us here who are followers of Christ? We're part of his family, but we haven't been baptized yet. If that's you, what's stopping you? Is there something stopping you? Maybe in obedience to him, you need to consider being baptized. Vicky, thank you for um, having some of the the carol up on, on the screen earlier because I've, I've got it here as well. Um, I was thinking about how he imparts or imputes his holiness towards us. So he, all of his holiness we get, don't we? We get it. He gives it to us. We can't earn it. Um, and, and I was thinking about how God imparts the blessings of heaven, which is his holiness in Christ, to our hearts. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. He has imputed, he's imparted his holiness towards us. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. He is still at work, isn't he? He's still saving people. He's still saving you, even if you gave your life to him. Many, many years ago, he's still at work in you, saving you. Philippians talks about the work that he is still doing. He, hasn't, he started it, but he hasn't completed it yet. The next thing, look at the, look at the passage. It talks about his mercy is for those who fear him. 
You see that there? His mercy is for those who fear him. I don't know about you, but I need, I want God's mercy. I absolutely need it. I want it. It is a wise thing to do, to fear the Lord out of reverence to him. It's something I need to confess that I, I sometimes take him lightly. Perhaps I don't see my sin as seriously as, as God sees it. But the price for all of my sin was the Lamb, the Lamb of God. And I love that Psalm 103 says in verse 10, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Such mercy. This is some of the stuff that he has done. How he has shown his love in action towards us. Just as a, a little recap, he's looked on our humble estate. He's done great things for us. His name is holy. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Next, the next thing, fifth thing. I'm calling these numbers, although I've written them down as letters. So I'm on E, but you might be on five. Um, he has shown his strength. He is strong. That's an understatement, isn't it? That is an understatement, but he is a strong God. He's alive. He is so strong. He's not only made this incredible universe and the earth and all of the, the bountiful and beautiful life that is here, but he, he's also done what we ourselves cannot do. Um, no following of rules can do. Um, no one else can deliver us out of darkness into light. No one else can save us. Only he can do it. He's strong to do it. And I love the fact that he has always said that he would do that. And I, I, I really appreciate that kind of um, trustworthiness, reliability, steadfastness. I love those characters that we see in God, but I also like it when I see it in people. Anthony Joshua last night, the um, heavyweight boxer, he promised he was going to knock his opponent out. So that's a promise. You know, I'm, there's going to be a knockout. I'm going to knock him out. That's exactly what he did. Knocked him out, third round. Put him down. And um, I'm not comparing Anthony Joshua to God in any way, but he's a, he's a man who said, I'm going to do that, and he did it. Now, he might not actually have been in control of that because the other guy might have got in there and, and whacked him, but um, I love it when, don't you just love it if someone says, I'm going to do that, and you think, yeah, I know you will do it. That's great. Love seeing that. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about the zeal of the Lord accomplishing what he has promised to do. And he has promised to do these things. And he has done it. And he will do it. Next one, F. I've lost count now. So he has scattered the proud and brought down the mighty. That is a great thing that he's done. Has he done that out of love for us? Well, if he really is the king of kings and the Lord of all lords, then yeah, that is showing his love that um, he is to be the one who is, is in charge. He's the one to be worshipped. Um, all will bow to King Jesus. Philippians says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may have bowed your knee in humble submission to him already. You may need to just continue to do that. 
but you might not have done that yet. Just to assure you that every knee one day will bow. There's people in my family who I love. They don't follow Jesus yet. Their knee will bow to Jesus. I, I'm, I'm desperate for them to do, for their knee to bow willingly. I, I was thinking about that willing submission. You know, this, this to me conjures up thoughts of defeated kings. So if a king against another king, they've got their armies, and the king um, who is defeated comes before the king who is victorious, and he will bow, and he might not want to bow, and if he doesn't want to bow, he'll be forced to bow, and he will bow, and all kings and all people will bow to Jesus. But we get to do that willingly. We get to willingly submit our will and just say, you take charge, you be in charge, Jesus. Take the wheel. I'm making a mess of my own life. Please be in charge of my life. Willingly, I just want to encourage you, willingly submit to his rule. Let him be in charge. Um, he fills the hungry with good things. Mary's language talks kind of in a past tense, doesn't it? She talks about, he has filled the hungry with good things. She speaks with such certainty about the things that he will do that it's as good as done. I love that. Um, Jesus is the all-satisfying bread of life. You know when you're hungry and you're satisfied by a nice meal? only lasts a little while, doesn't it? Um, but Jesus is all-satisfying. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul, your deepest longings. Isaiah, there's some verses in Isaiah 55, chapter 55 and chapter 65. It says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He will satisfy. And this is what the sovereign Lord says My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Psalm 107. Verse 9 says, he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. He's the only one that can satisfy. And that's a good job, isn't it? Because we're going to be in heaven with him forever. And he's not going to ever get boring. Can you imagine, Dan, if you spent forever just with me now? You'd be bored pretty quickly. Five minutes. Yeah, I'd say four. But um, Jesus will never get boring. It will never be boring. He will always satisfy us. Um, the next one. He sent the rich away empty. Guys, Jesus has come to those who need him. Who recognize their need for him. He opposes the proud of heart. I encourage you to pray that your heart is one which humbles itself and says, I need you. You are enough for me. You are my portion. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And finally, on this, point, on this part here, Mary says, he has helped Israel and Abraham's descendants forever. We join, don't we, in the family of God. So we, we've been grafted in, we've been joined into it, we've been adopted, beautiful picture isn't it, when that picture of adoption, we were, I mean look at all those things on this list, that was us, and then he adopts us and brings us in and gives us all the things that you've probably written down on the right hand side, 
But that's what he does. He brings us in. We're part of Abraham's descendants forever. We are Abraham's descendants in that we are declared children of the faith. We're sons and daughters of the living God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. There's some amazing things he's done. Just wanted to run through what Mary shows us as, as God's love in action. Okay. We're going to look at our response to his love now. There's one really uh, bad response that we could have, and that's um, that Jesus could just be a non-entity to you. Now, I know a lot of you here, Jesus is not a non-entity to you. I know that. But he could be a non-entity to people. Just, so Jesus, so what? So what? But their knee will bow to Jesus one day. But I wanted to look at our right response. Our right response, following Mary's response. If you look at the start of her song there, she says, what does she say? Have you got it in front of you? Dan, can you just read out, please? My soul, what's she saying? My soul magnifies the Lord. Yes, that should be our response but I thought we might need to explain a little bit about what that might mean, how we, how we do that. So maybe just a little note on what makes up men and women, what makes up humans. So we know, so Mary's talking about my soul does this and my spirit does that. And we could just say those words and think, oh yeah, my soul does this, my spirit does that. And that's, that's okay, but sometimes it's helpful just to dig a little deeper, isn't it, to try and understand what, what's magnifying God and what's, what's rejoicing in him? What, what, what are those things? So, you know, there is the body, there is the soul, and there is the spirit. Biblically, this is, what, this is what is explained to us. There is the body, the soul, and the spirit. So the soul and the spirit, so the body is physical. We can all see each other's bodies here. We've got them. Praise the Lord for that. And they're not just the disposable rubbish things, like the other things are more important. These things are just as important in some ways because the Lord asks us to um, put this to, to his work and to his use, doesn't he? So this is an important part. Plus, I'm going to get a new one one day, which I'm looking forward to. But um, then there's the spirit and the soul. The spirit and the soul are the two primary immaterial, so the things that aren't material, aspects that Scripture ascribes to humanity. This is not my own work. I've done some research into this. But it can be confusing to try and discern between the two, but there are some differences. So human beings have a spirit. You have a spirit, but you are not spirits, right? You have a spirit, but you are not spirits. However, in Scripture, only believers are said to be spiritually alive. We looked at that on here, didn't that third one down? The Bible says you're spiritually dead if you, if you, don't, if you don't follow Jesus. You haven't been awakened yet. So only believers are spiritually alive. If you're not a believer, you're spiritually dead. So you have a spirit, and that's the element in humanity which gives us the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. 
That's the bit that connects with God. Because God, the Bible says, John 4, 4 to 24 says that he is spirit. So our spirit is the bit in us which can connect with God and have an intimate relationship with him. Okay. Looking for some tiny little nods. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm on it being, being clear. But our spirit and our soul are different. The soul can refer to different parts. But unlike, unlike human beings having a spirit, we are souls. Okay? We are souls. You could say there are 30 souls in this room, couldn't you? So we are, we are souls who have a spirit, but we are not spirits. But the soul kind of means life, but there's a blend of the mind, the will, and the emotion. Okay? So the soul and the spirit are connected in a mysterious way, but they can be divided, right? They can be separated out. Hebrews 4 talks about that. The word of God divides. Okay, so I just thought it was helpful. I found this helpful to think about this. Here's an example in Psalm 42, do you remember what David says? He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Who's talking to his soul? What's going, what's going on there? He's saying, why, why my soul, are you downcast? Is it, who? He's talking to himself in some way, isn't he? He's talking to himself. The next bit says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. Right, so it sounds like, is he mad? Is he talking to himself? What's going on? His spirit is talking to his soul. His spirit, that bit which is connecting with God, is saying to his will and his emotions and his mind, don't be downcast. Don't be downcast. Hope in God. Do you ever feel like, I know Jesus, I know he's for me, but I feel sad today. Do you feel like that? Where's the sad bit come from? The sad bit is your soul. The bit that says, I know Jesus is my hope. That's your spirit. Encourage your spirit to speak to your soul like David, just to say, come on, put your hope in God. I certainly don't want this to be confusing. I want to try and help us when we think about how am I going to magnify God with my soul? How am I going to rejoice in God, my Savior? So Mary's entire being is caught up in praise to God, right? She's saying, um, I want to magnify the Lord with my soul, and I want to rejoice in him, my God and my Savior. So we should do that. That's our correct response. So we want to magnify the Lord with your soul. It was helpful what Kelvin had brought to us earlier um, about the microscopes and the telescopes. Um, it's another thing, actually. We can magnify the Lord together. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We can magnify God together. The Greek for magnify is megaluno, to make or declare great. That's what we want to do. This is our response. So believers, this is what we should do. I'm just going to read something from John Piper, which backs up what, what Kelvin was um, doing with the children were in here. He says this, Piper says, it is the mark of all God's true children that they long to magnify the God of their salvation and his son, Jesus Christ. The word magnify can be used in two different senses. 
just going to repeat what you've, what you've heard earlier on. It can mean make something appear greater than it is with a microscope or magnifying glass, or it can mean make something that may seem small or insignificant appear to be as great as it really is. This is what our great telescopes help us to begin to do with the magnificent universe which once upon a time spilled over from the brim of God's glory. So there are two kinds of magnifying, microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes a small thing look bigger than it is. The other makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. When David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, he doesn't mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. We're not called to be microscopes, but telescopes. So, so I'll put this next slide up. I wanted just to give you um, a few moments, just in, just in quietness, by yourselves. Have a think about that. How could you magnify the Lord with your soul? Have a think about maybe write on that bit of paper you've already got. How could you magnify him with your soul? And to make it easier, we've broken that down as to what that might mean. How can I magnify him? How can I make him look as big as he really is with my mind? You've all got minds made in different ways. But how can you use your mind to, to show how great he really is? How can you use your will? How can you use your emotions? I'll give you three or four minutes.
Okay, maybe take some of those questions away from you as well. I just want to give you the opportunity in, in our busy schedules. Just we're here, we've got the Word of God before us. Just an opportunity, isn't it? Just think, okay, now's the time I have to look at that rather than think, oh, that might be a good question. Never going to address it. Just a little opportunity now. So um, hopefully that, that you'll have started to address some of that. So I just encourage you to carry on with that um, by yourselves. The second example we should follow is that we should let our spirit rejoice in God, our Savior. Matthew records that the Magi, do you know what they said? What he says? He said they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When was the last time you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? You might, you might know. You might not. But that is something, isn't it? Because they knew that Jesus was something special, right? Something very special. And they were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. And we can and we should in a genuine way, rejoice. And I just want to encourage us, encourage myself, to repent of the times that we don't rejoice. Your spirit can always rejoice in the Lord. If you know him, your spirit can rejoice. Your soul might be downcast, but your spirit can rejoice in the Lord. Encourage your spirit to tell your soul, come on, we can rejoice. Everything that makes me up me, my body, my soul, and my spirit, let's rejoice in God, my Savior. Mary was made aware by the angel that the Messiah is coming. We know as well, don't we, that he has come. She was aware that this, is the, this news was the very best news there was. And just a little note, Mary is not without sin herself. We know that, don't we? She's not without sin herself. She said, my God, my Savior, she needs a Savior. Something that um, Jim, uh, with, your, with your family, I guess you're, you're often thinking about this, aren't you, with Catholic roots and so on, thinking about, oh, Mary, Mary's not to be worshipped. We do her a disservice and we do God a disservice when we worship Mary. Mary's a human. She's blessed. She's blessed, isn't she? That's what, that's what the Bible says. She's blessed. But she's a sinner in need of salvation, just like us all. And yet she carries the sinless one. Why does God send Jesus out of his great love for us? Glory to God in the highest, the angels were saying, and peace on, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He came to bring peace and enable communion with the God that we've all strayed from. So how can your spirit rejoice in God your Savior? Simply put, you cannot rejoice in him unless you accept him as your God and your Savior. So if you haven't done that yet, this Christmas is the time. Let's do it. Today is the day for salvation. I really encourage you to consider Jesus this Christmas. Please speak to someone here if you, if you would like to do that. And if you do know him, rejoice. Rejoice. We don't need to look at what the Greek means for rejoice, do we? You know what it means to rejoice, right? You know what it means to rejoice. There's a few verses here. I'm just going to run through them. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord, say it. I, in your promise, like one who finds great spoil, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will because of his birth. In the Lord always, and again, and I will say it again. Absolutely, let's rejoice in him. 
just to sum up and to read a little bit of John back in that verse, verses from 1 John. You know, if we're rejoicing in the Lord, if we're magnifying the Lord with our soul, this will spill over into love for others as well. I'm not going to speak a lot about that because if we're loving the Lord right, we're going to love each other and the lost. But I wanted us to look at Mary's example from that text. Carrying on in 1 John 4, it says, Whoever lives in love, loves, sorry, whoever, it was a tongue twister that he put down, didn't he? Lives and loves and all that. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This, the reason for Christmas is Easter. That's why he came. He was born on death row like that blogger guy said. He was born on death row. His life is good news because his death and resurrection have brought us life and is alive today. And his great love from the beginning meant to make us his family and for us to be with him, giving him glory. And so let's respond to him this Christmas by encouraging our souls to magnify him and for our spirits to rejoice in our God, our Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for coming. You've looked upon our humble and wretched estates and you've saved us and you continue to work in us and save us and we thank you and praise you. I pray you would teach us what it means to magnify you with our souls. Would you enable our spirits to rejoice in you, our God, our Savior? Would our love for you overflow towards one another and towards people in our families, our communities, those who are lost, who do not yet know you. And Lord, if there are any here this morning that do not yet know you, but want to know you, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to seek you out, to seek out someone that loves you. Lord, would you have your way with us? Would you be glorified in us this Christmas time, this day? In Jesus' name, amen.